Good morning. Good morning. Gosh, this does feel good. Thank you for coming and worshiping. This is Easter. This is one of my favorite holidays of the year. And I don't say that very often. My family knows me as a Scrooge because they think it's because I don't like holidays. That's not entirely true. I just don't like decorating for holidays, um, if we're being completely honest. But I still love you guys. Um, But this day is actually so special that I'm going to do something on this day that I normally don't do from the pulpit. I know sometimes it makes people feel uh, uncomfortable, and I'm going to apologize for that up front. But this is something that I even had to look up what it was called because I forgot. But this is a call and response. So what that means is I say something, and then you guys say something in return. And on Easter, it's a very popular thing. I say, He is risen. And then you say, he is risen indeed. Look, we even put it up on the screen. So you have no excuse, not, hey, I don't know what to say. I don't know how this works. We're going to skip all that. I put it up on the screen so we can, we can, but we shouldn't screw this up, right? We should be able to do this, right? If you walk away knowing nothing else today but that he is risen, your life will be transformed. Right? So if you learn nothing else, and you know this, it's a good day. Uh, as Tim was just telling me earlier, it doesn't matter what I say. It's not on my abilities. It's on him. And if you know nothing else besides he is risen, it's a good week for y'all. It is a great week. So let's go ahead and let's try this. I'm really nervous about this because it never works out, but we're going to give it a shot. He is risen. Oh my gosh, it sounds like there's so many people in here. I love it. I love it. I love it. And the fact that he has risen, it makes our hearts sing. It makes our souls dance. Because in that simple fact that he has risen, we have endless hope. When we think about that he has risen, when we think about the resurrection, we know that we have endless hope. And the resurrection means so much more than just simply Jesus walked out of the tomb. Right? The resurrection means so much more than that empty tomb that we just talk about and on Easter. Sometimes it's all that we focus on. But to celebrate only the empty tomb is to be completely unaware of what the resurrection means. It is almost like watching a Marvel movie and not knowing that those other 18 movies somehow mean something to that movie that you are watching right then, right? It is impossible. When I am watching a movie, I have no idea how a talking raccoon on a faraway galaxy impacts a secret universe on planet Earth in Black Panther. No idea. But apparently, it is really, 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 really important. Because it is, see, it is. I'm, I am missing the whole storyline of Marvel movies. <laughs> and my, my understanding is severely limited. And this is made very, very apparent when I come to church. Or, <laughs> or when I'm talking with my kids and they are talking about characters and people and events that did not take place in the last two hours in the movie I was watching, but I guess they're really, really important to what I was watching, and there's no way that I could really, truly enjoy that movie, which I thought I did, without understanding all this other stuff. 
we start talking about this movie and we were watching two totally different movies. Apparently, I did not understand one thing in which I thought I understood the whole movie. But we can be the same exact way with Easter. We can be the same way with the resurrection. This is known as Resurrection Sunday. And the fact that Jesus' tomb was empty is huge. That is actually really, really big news. But it's even more big news if we're aware of what that means to us, if we know what that means to the story of our salvation. And unless we are fully aware of what that hope means, we will never realize the full hope that his resurrection provides. And this morning we're going to look at a passage where Jesus actually fills in two disciples on what the entire meaning of the resurrection means. And this story and in this experience, I hope it will be a reminder to us that we need to know the whole story, not just part of the story. If we don't understand the whole story, if we just focus on one part, we will often find ourselves disappointed, we'll find ourselves discouraged, and we'll find ourselves without hope. But the beauty of today, the beauty of today when we look into this conversation, it allows us to hear the hope that is found in the resurrection And the better news is the greatest teacher in the world, our Savior Jesus Christ, is teaching it. So why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles. We're going to continue our series in Luke. This is actually the last one. Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 24. And before we get started, I'll give you a little bit of background on this. This is every year people would travel to Jerusalem to be a part of the Passover celebration. This was a huge festival that the Jews would celebrate to to be reminded of their exodus from Egypt. And at the conclusion of Passover, when holidays are over, like most people, they would pack their stuff up and they would head back home. And this is where we're going to pick up in our message today. We're going to pick up with these two disciples that are leaving Jerusalem. They're heading back home. It's Sunday morning. It's probably about this time after breakfast, sometime before lunch. They've gotten their stuff together and now they're heading back home. They've got a seven-mile walk to make. These two disciples of Jesus, they had come to Jerusalem for the Passover, much like they've done their whole life, if not their entire life. And now they were leaving Jerusalem. They were heading back home. And this is where we're going to pick up today. But this Passover, as they were leaving, this Passover was a little bit different than all the other Passovers. At this Passover, they were witnesses to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And now as they headed back home, they had heavy hearts and shattered hopes for the future. Jesus was not only their friend, he was not only their teacher, he was not only a prophet, but he was going to be the one that was going to free them from the oppression of Rome. He was going to be the one that was going to restore God's people back to God. But now he was dead. And as they were picking up their things and getting ready to leave, they had gotten word that not only was he dead, but his body was missing. It was no longer in the tomb that it was placed in. Not only were they unaware of the details of what had happened this morning, of what had transpired, but more importantly, they were unaware of the significance 
of what had happened with the resurrection of Jesus. And gratefully, now I'm going to tell you to plug your ears because this is going to be a spoiler alert, but as they're walking, they run into Jesus. They run into a man, Jesus, and he explains to them the things that have happened. And in his teaching, these two disciples not only become aware of the significance of this glorious day, but their hearts are filled with joy and an eternal hope is restored back into their lives. So the question is, what did Jesus' teaching reveal that made their hearts burn, that gave them hope that will never end, that turned their hopelessness of an empty tomb into the hope of the resurrection? This day that Jesus was talking about is the day that we celebrate today. 2,000 years later, we are still celebrating the hope that is found in the resurrection. So go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn with me. Like I said, we're going to be in chapter 24. I'm going to read a portion of this. I'm going to start in verse 13. Man, I was singing during worship. It was so awesome today. And now I'm all excited and my voice is raw. I apologize. This is so good, though. This is, the resurrection is so good. Man. All right, beginning in verse 13. That very day, and when we say that very day, we're talking about that very first Easter morning, that Sunday morning. So two of them were going to a village named uh, Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered, them, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here, there, in these days? So Jesus comes up to him and says, what's going on? We don't know anything about these disciples that were walking. The only thing we know is the name of Cleopas. That's the only name that we know. Many Bible scholars, not all Bible scholars, believe that this is the same um, person that is mentioned in John 19.25, whose wife is standing with Jesus' mother at the foot of the cross, where Jesus hung as the guards were casting lots for his clothes. There's a slight variation in the, the name, in the spelling of the name, but most Bible scholars will tell you that this is the same John, the same Cleopas, I'm sorry. And so what that means is that these two people are husband and wife. These two disciples that Jesus comes upon, they're husband and wife, and they're returning home after the Passover, and they're talking about all of these things that have happened since Friday. They're talking about all these events that have happened. You know those conversations, conversations that you have in your car when you are leaving your family after spending Easter with him. I'm just going to let that sink in because whatever you're thinking right now is way better than any illustration I could come up with. Right? You can't believe uncle so-and-so said this. You can't believe this person did this. You can't believe this egg thing went out like this. Now take what you're thinking and times it by three days. Add to it the death of one of your friends who many thought to be the king of Israel and when he died the sunlight failed when he died 
The curtain in the temple was torn in two, starting at the top. Gosh. And to add to that, the tomb that he was placed in is now empty. There is a lot to talk about on this walk home. There is a lot of things going on. There's a buzz over all of Jerusalem. Where did this body go? What happened to this person? And as they are discussing these events from the previous day, the only person who knows exactly what was going on approaches them, Jesus. And we don't, we don't know why, but for some reason, God had prevented them from recognizing that this was Jesus. And Jesus, he walks up to him and says, hey guys, what are you guys all talking about? And they stop, right? And in their disbelief, they say, you know the things. Everybody knows what's going on. And Jesus says to them, what things? And in verse 19, he says, and Jesus said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since those things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find the body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Now what's interesting is when they are giving this description of Jesus, that he was from Nazareth, that he was a man of mighty deeds, that he had done mighty works, that he was despised and rejected by men, when we look at those things, we see it's almost like they're reading through the book of Isaiah. They're reading prophecies of Jesus. If we turn to Isaiah 9, it says, but in the latter time he was made glorious, the way of the sea and the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations, that there would be the Messiah coming from there. If we continue in Isaiah, we go to verse 30, or chapter 34, it talks about the great works that Jesus was going to do, that the Messiah was going to do. It says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And if we continue reading these prophecies and the great things that he would say, we could go to Isaiah 2. And it says, And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountains of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his path. And if we go into 53, it even talks about him being despised and rejected by men. It says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. As they are describing what they thought Jesus was, they are referring to the prophets. They are referring to Isaiah and saying, hey, he fulfilled all of these portions What's even interesting is we see this man, he even mentions that it had been three days since Jesus' death. I would have loved to have seen Jesus' face when he said that. Because Jesus is like, haven't I told you this before? Like, this sounds familiar. This sounds like something that I've said. We know that Jesus gathered his disciples. 
And he told them this, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Right, that was the first time he told them. Then he had all of his disciples again and just because they don't always remember things, he gathers them all again and he was teaching his disciples and he said this to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Even the chief priests and the Pharisees were aware of Jesus' promise to rise in three days. Do you remember when he was being crucified and they ran to, the, to Pilate and they said, Sir, we remember how the imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. And that's what they used to ask the governor to give him guards to guard the tomb so that this couldn't happen, so that nobody could stage something. And here we are, one of Jesus' disciples, whoosh, over his head. He's even talking to Jesus, says, hey, it's been three days. Can you believe that this stuff has happened and now we don't have the body? And by not understanding what they were witnesses to, these disciples had lost all hope. Their hope is gone, right? If we read in verse 21, it says that they stated, but we had hoped. But it was gone now. They had in their mind this picture of what the Savior was going to be. They had a mind of what their Redeemer would do. And without fully understanding the Scriptures, they have no clue who the Messiah is. They have no idea what God's plan of salvation is for. And now we find them discouraged and without hope. But then there's Jesus, right? But then God, and at this point as he hears them and he hears the discouragement and hopelessness in their voice, Jesus is about to give them the mother of all Bible studies. This is going to be the best Bible study ever. Go ahead and look at verse 25. And he said this, this to them, oh foolish ones. That's much what Isaac says to me after a Marvel movie, Right? <laughs> Jesus says to them, oh foolish ones, and slow to heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. Gosh, man, how awesome would that be to be walking with them, to have the best teacher Teaching the best news from the best book ever as you walk. If there's ever a time in your life that you feel cheated, this would be a good time. They got Jesus on Easter morning. You guys got me. <laughs> I would be a little bummed on that, but we're going to press on. And in their teaching, Jesus takes them straight to the scriptures. We know that the scriptures are the word of God. They are a record of God speaking. We know that God has spoken in many and various ways. But he has now revealed himself fully through his son. And now his son can rightly be called the word of God. All, everything that God has ever spoken ultimately points to Jesus Christ. This means that we don't properly understand our Bible until we understand how it connects to Jesus. We don't understand our Bible until we understand how it connects to the life 
in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Notice that the scripture says Jesus taught them things concerning himself. He didn't teach them about some made-up laws. He didn't even teach them about different doctrines of different denominations. It says Jesus taught them the things concerning himself. That Jesus is the sole authority. He is the beginning and the end. Everything comes through him. What they had done is they had created their own idea of who the Messiah was. Right? They had created their own idea of what the Messiah would do. Unfortunately, if we're honest with ourselves, we do this all the time. We try to conform Jesus to our ideas. We try to conform Jesus to our thoughts and to our preferences and to our politics and to our beliefs. We even try to conform Jesus to our religion. We have this idea of Jesus. We want to try and fit him in a box. It's not how it works. We don't have that right. We don't have that privilege. We don't have that authority. The truth is, is Jesus transforms our hearts. The truth is, Jesus takes our hearts and conforms it to him. See, this problem was not in their heads, but this problem that they had was in their hearts. And to fix that, to answer that, Jesus takes them straight to the scriptures, the word of God. And he starts with Moses and all the prophets. See, they had previously read, they were familiar with these things, but they had selectively believed just part of what the prophets said. They embraced the Messiah ruler passages, but they ignored the prophecies about his suffering. They see only the crown. They never saw the suffering. They never saw the cross. They never saw the resurrection. They only expected the Messiah to be a conquering king. But they completely missed the prophecy that showed them the suffering servant. And Scripture tells us that our conquering king had to suffer death before he could conquer death. It must have startled them when Jesus was talking to them and he was reminding them of what was going on. Can you imagine sitting down with Jesus saying, tell me about yourself. He didn't ask, well, how old do you want me to start, like high school or college? He just simply said, in the beginning. And then he started talking about who he was. He started talking about the things he had done. Maybe he went to Genesis 3 and started saying, the foot that smashes the serpent, I am he. Maybe he went through Exodus and saying, oh, the bread of life, hey, guess who that is? And as he was walking through the passages, he was walking through Moses and all the things that the prophets said, it must have just startled these guys when he gets to Isaiah. And he's telling Jesus what had happened. They described Isaiah. But now Jesus gets there and he picks up right where they left off to show that the events that they had witnessed fulfilled the prophecies that they thought they knew. He picks right up in in chapter uh, 53, verse 5. Jesus, yeah, but he was pierced for our transgressions, for your transgressions. He was crushed for inequities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. Right, and then he followed them through. He says, hey, look at, look at verse 11. Remember in Isaiah? They didn't have verses back then. He said, hey, let's fast forward a little bit to Isaiah. And he said, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteousness one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their inequities. 
When we look through Isaiah, we see that Isaiah prophesied the Messiah's death would serve as an ultimate offering for our sin so that God's people could be redeemed and that Christ's agony would be rewarded. Right? He would be given us, that we would get to be and stand in his glory forever. And then it goes on, Isaiah goes on in chapter 25, he talks about how the Messiah would conquer death in the end. Isaiah 25, 8 and 9 says, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from his face, and the reproach of his people will take away from all of the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord, and we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. That is what we are talking about here on Easter, that we can be glad and we can be rejoice in his salvation. And by walking through the scriptures, Jesus had established that this suffering and death, they were not obstacles to Jesus being the Messiah. They were not things that stood in the way of this truth happening. And as we go through scriptures, we go through the prophecies, we actually see that the death and the resurrection are a necessity for him to be the Messiah that the prophet spoke about. It is needed for him to be the one. The life-giving truth is that Christ suffered and died for our sins. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead in accordance with the scriptures. Just as God has spoken is exactly how it had happened. The empty tomb proved once and for all that Jesus was the Messiah. That Jesus was God. And that is what we celebrate today. We celebrate the resurrection because the resurrection established that Jesus is God. The fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross does not prove in itself that he is God. Jesus proved his deity by fulfilling the prophecies of his death and then returning from the grave. The resurrection verified that Jesus indeed was the Son of God. Scripture tells us in Romans that by being raised from the dead, Jesus was proven to be the mighty Son of God with the holy nature of God himself. Because Jesus had been raised from the dead, we can trust that his words are true and trustworthy. We can trust that Scripture is the very Word of God, that the Scripture is Jesus. The resurrection revealed Jesus' power over death. When Jesus Christ arose, the power of sin and death were destroyed, were defeated forever. He will swallow up death forever, defeating the power of death. The empty tomb assures us that sickness and suffering, death and disease will not have the final word. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion. The resurrection secured our victory over death as well. Because of the resurrection, Christians do not have to fear death, but they get to live an abundant life. And many of us think, oh, I gotta wait till I die to live the abundant life, but that is not true. Because of the resurrection, we can live the abundant life now. We can find a peace that surpasses all understanding now. We can find joy that will never end now. We have hope that is eternal now because of the resurrection. And finally, the resurrection proved Jesus' power to forgive sin. 
The word of God declares, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. By being raised from the dead, Jesus proved that his sacrifice for our sins was accepted. He has the authority and the power to forgive our sins. So we know that because of the resurrections, Christians are no longer slave to sin. We are not bound by shame and guilt. But we know, we can trust that we are forgiven. As far as from the the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. The resurrection gives us hope. When we look at all of these things, we have an everlasting, eternal hope. Praise God, our hope is not in our ability. It's not in our goodness. It's not even in our physical strength. Our hope is instilled in us by the resurrection of Christ. Peter reminds us of the hope of the resurrection. He writes this in in 1 Peter 1. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Because of the resurrection, we have hope that Christ will come back. There is hope that there will come someday a new heaven and a a new earth and the kingdom of God will reign and triumph. There is hope that we can have joy, that we can enjoy peace, that we can have security in the midst of this crazy world. Because of the resurrection, because we have Jesus, we have peace. There is hope in our mistakes. There is hope that our sins will be forgiven. And all of this hope is found in the resurrection of Jesus. So this church, again, this is why we celebrate the resurrection. The resurrection established that Jesus is God. Therefore, we have hope because we can trust the promises of Scripture. We know that God is for us, and we know that God is with us. The resurrection reveals Jesus' power over death. Therefore, we can have hope because in him we have life now and forever. The resurrection proved Jesus' power to forgive sin. Therefore, we have hope because we are free and forgiven. We have hope because when we stand before the creator of all, he will see us as righteous because of Jesus. The hope of the resurrection is not just found on Easter morning. It is the foundation for all of Scripture and it is the foundation for all of our hope. Jesus said this when he had his disciples together. He said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. All of scripture, every single part of scripture brings us back to the resurrection. 
the resurrection. Jesus Christ is the center of Scripture. And when we look at it, we have the hope that is found in the resurrection of Jesus. And my prayer for you today is that as you talk about these things, as you are with your family, and as you go back home, as you do Easter egg hunts, as you sit at the table and eat, my prayer for you is that as you talk about the things that happened 2,000 years ago, that God will cause your heart to burn and you will find unshakable hope in Jesus. That you will find an eternal hope in Jesus in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Church, He is risen. Church, I didn't put it up there. See what happens? Church, He is risen. If you don't know anything else, find hope and remember that He is risen. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that 2,000 years ago that tomb was empty. We are so grateful that 2,000 years ago you walked out of that grave and you have given us hope that cannot be shaken. You've given us hope that will never end. You've given us hope that is stronger than any problems or conflicts or any thing that we face. Lord, we stand amazed at the resurrection. As great as that is and what it means in our life and just the demonstration of your power, Lord, the demonstration of your love for each one of us. Lord, we just pray that as today we would not lose focus of what the resurrection means. We pray that we would not be distracted by celebrating an empty tomb, but that we would celebrate your sovereignty, that we would celebrate your glory, that we would celebrate your holiness today as we remember you leaving the tomb empty. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for walking out of the tomb. We thank you for dying for us. We thank you for conquering death for us. Lord, we thank you for coming back. And Lord, we are so grateful that we know it will happen. You will come back again and we will celebrate with you seeing holy, holy, holy. And we look forward to that day to worship in your courtyards. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your son's risen name of Jesus we ask these things. And all of God's people said, amen.